Good morning, Liberty. How are y'all? Good. Uh, I'm going to read Psalm 132. I want to read it in its entirety. Uh, it's a little bit of a lengthier psalm, but um, not too long. And then um, we'll pray and we'll dive in. Starting in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or go into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a mighty dwelling place or a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Epirthah. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe the shame, but on him his crown will shine. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the psalm which reminds us that you do not forget your promises. You remember your covenants. You are faithful to your people and you have shown us that faithfulness comes not in the form of human kings or buildings of stone, but ultimately, Father, that your faithfulness comes in the King Jesus who reigns on the throne in heaven and will one day come to make all things new and live with us on earth. And, and Father, it is in King Jesus' name that I pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, recently, my wife and I, um, well, last night we got to go to a wedding, which was, which was really fun. I love getting to celebrate weddings. It's one of my favorite things that we get to do. But we had been talking recently about the fact that we were coming up on 14 years of marriage and we were kind of kicking around, what are we going to go do? What are we going to... Uh, how are we going to celebrate this, this moment? I don't know why, but 14 seems really momentous to us. You know, it's, somebody mentioned recently to us it was two cycles of seven, and they, they felt like that was significant. We'd survived two cycles of seven. So um, we, this seemed to be like kind of a big deal, and we were talking about well, how are we going to celebrate this? What are we going to do? We love to celebrate our wedding anniversary some way. All right? It can be small. Sometimes it's you know, it's a date night. Sometimes we take a trip to Oklahoma City or Lubbock or something like that. Lubbock, if we get really desperate, because you got to be in a really bad place to want to go to Lubbock, right? It's just never, never high on the agenda, but sometimes it's what you can do. It's what you can, you know, you've got the childcare enough to make that work. But we love to celebrate our, our wedding anniversary. And really at core, what we're doing is we're celebrating a promise that we've made to each other, a promise to have and to hold for better, for worse, for rich or poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That's the promise that we've made to one another. That's a covenant that we've made to one another. 
And it's such a big part of our lives. It, it completely changed the course of our lives. When we made that covenant, we, we bound our lives together. And since then, we've, we've gone through a lot. We've uh, moved a whole bunch of times, uh, mostly in Amarillo, but we've lived in Albuquerque for a couple of years. We've had four kids. They're usually pretty great, although sometimes one of them wants to take a flying leap off of everything he can find, so he's a little terrifying. But we've navigated these challenges together because we've knit our lives together, and what we like to do is to celebrate that, to mark that, and to remember that promise, and to, to, to thank God that we made that promise to one another, because we've, we've enjoyed it. We genuinely enjoyed being married to one another. Much like our wedding anniversary marks a promise, Psalm 132 celebrates two promises. It celebrates a promise between a man named David, a king over Israel, but it also celebrates God's promise back to him. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with what the Psalms of Ascent were used for, but these Psalms actually accompanied an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to celebrate God's presence with the people through the temple. This was part of the liturgy that the people would use as they moved closer and closer to the temple to make their annual sacrifices, to, to enjoy God's presence and to enjoy the people celebrating together. And they would sing these psalms as they got closer to that temple. And what are the promises being celebrated? Well, first is the promise made by David to God. In verse two, we're told how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or go into my bed, or give sleep to my eyes, or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of God. Have you ever had, um, you ever had a moment where you're just like perseverating on something so much that you cannot get to sleep at night, it just keeps turning over and over and over in your brain? You know, maybe it's a big conversation you have to have the next day, or it's something, something hard at work, or something that you're, you're excited about maybe even. And you just cannot get to sleep. You ever been there? Am I the only one who does that? And I just like stare at the ceiling and I keep looking at the clock and it's still like three in the morning. And I'm like, come on, like I just need to get to bed. I just need to get to sleep, but I can't stop thinking about this thing. That's where David was. His mind was captivated by this idea that there was this thing missing in the spiritual life of Israel. And that place was a physical permanent dwelling place for the Lord. David could look around and he could say, like, I live in a nice house, relatively speaking, for the people of Israel. Right? I live in a, a nice home. It has wood paneling. Do you remember when wood paneling was a great thing? David had wood paneling in his house, and he was excited about it, but he felt bad because the Lord didn't have that. You know what the Lord dwelt in when he made his, um, his, his home with the people of Israel where the, the Ark of the Covenant was stored, where all the religious items were? Do you know what, what David, or what, where, where that was? What that was occurring in? A tent, right? David's got wood paneling and God's got a Coleman, right? Like he's, you know, we can go down to Home Depot and we can pick this thing up. And David's feeling bad about this. He wants to build a house for the Lord. This idea has captivated his attention. Now, now, David knows God doesn't need a human house. He doesn't need to be served by people in that way. But he knew that God would condescend to his people, and he had done so for a long time. He would meet with his people ever since he brought them out of Egypt and to Israel. While they were moving from Egypt to Israel, he met with Moses in this tent called a tabernacle. In all of David's life, this tent had stayed in a place called Shiloh, but Shiloh was far away from David. It was not the place where he had made his capital. It was not Jerusalem. 
This was a city that he had captured from the Jebusites and had taken over as a a place to rule his kingdom from. It was actually the place where uh, Melchizedek, if you remember that name from the book of Genesis, had also reigned from. So there's There's some connection there. There's some spiritual importance to Jerusalem, even at this point. But David doesn't want to reign apart from the presence of God. So he did something completely unprecedented. David moved to Jerusalem the Ark of the Covenant, a box that was supposed to belong in the tabernacle. It had been captured by the Philistines. It had been recaptured. And since then, it had stayed in a wooded area, or an Ephrathah, called Kiriath-Jerim. And this Ark was a ceremonial item in the tabernacle. It was meant to reside in the Holy of Holies. It's the very back portion of the tent. Only the priest, the high priest of Israel could enter into that place once a year and he would make a very important sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Only one who could do this. But David, uh, and, and it was said to be the place that, that God made his footstool on the earth. So David brought this holy relic to Jerusalem, touchstone for the presence of God to the city where he lived. But for David, it wasn't enough. He needed, he felt this need to build a, a house, a temple worthy of the infinite God of the universe. And so in this middle of the night, when it's is keeping him awake, when he is just fascinated by this idea, he swears to God that he would build for him such a house that he might dwell with his people. He might dwell near David. He might dwell in this capital for this kingdom. And so he makes God this promise. And that's our first promise. David promises to build a house for God. But God does something interesting. He tells David, um, this man who has been a warrior much of his life, who is notorious for the the body count that he has um, created for the men that he has killed in order to defend Israel, that because he has blood on his hands, David wouldn't be the one who would build the temple. So David is not at least directly going to fulfill this promise that he made, but David's son Solomon would be the one who built the temple. Nevertheless, at the dedication of the temple, when it was built, the people sang this psalm or a portion of the psalm according to 2 Chronicles 6.41. They sang, And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place. You and the ark of your mind, let your priests O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. Remember your steadfast love for David. It's the first line of the psalm. Remember your steadfast love for David. David has made a promise to build a house. His son keeps it. But what is it that the people of Israel want God to remember when they speak of his love for David? They want him to remember this promise that God makes in verse 11. The Lord swore a sure oath to David from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. 
I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. Her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. I love how in this psalm David swears an oath to God, but it is the Lord who swears a sure oath. It's actually more serious. God's promise back to David is more sure. It's more sure than anything any other man can promise. And for a king, the thing that might be most important more than any other thing would be a dynasty, right? To know that his family, his sons, his children would be running this kingdom and hopefully running it well for a very long time. A king would want nothing more than to know that his children would carry forward his legacy and be on the throne for a very long time. But David's own family situation was a bit of a mess. Right? Maybe some of you came from broken homes. You came from a family with a lot of drama. You came from a family with a lot of hurt. David's family might have even been worse than yours. And I'm not going to get into all the gory details here, but I would say at some point, take it upon yourselves to read the book of 2 Samuel. David's family had a lot of drama and a lot of confusion and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. But despite all that, God promises David that one of his sons, one of his descendants will always sit on the throne, that God will dwell with his people in Zion. He's going to provide for his people. I love how Peter Lightheart put it in his book, A Son to Me. He says, David planned a place for the Lord, but instead the Lord promised a place for Israel. Now on the face of it, these are two separate promises. It looks like what God is doing is promising a Davidic king, and then also separately that he will dwell with his people, right? You, you could see how these two ideas could be separated from one another. You might, might think Davidic king and God dwelling with his people, two different ideas. But when the psalm quotes God talking about dwelling with his people, he says, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. A horn is a symbol of power and often refers to the descendants of kings. I don't quite understand the image myself, but there it is. And then he says, I have prepared a lamp for my anointed, for the Messiah, the Messiah. And in his enemies I will clothe the shame, but on him his crown will shine. An important theme about the Davidic kingdom is his connection to Jerusalem, usually through this idealized notion of Zion. Whenever you see Zion, it's talking about Jerusalem, but it's talking about Jerusalem at its best, what it could be when God dwells there. But this Davidic king in this place of Zion where God dwells with his people are actually two linked ideas. They're, they really are, at the end of the day, inseparable ideas. But this Davidic king has enemies. He is opposed. Nevertheless, his crown will shine. It will be the thing that people see when they look to Zion. This Davidic king ruling and reigning in this place. What I want to encourage you to think about is what this might mean to the people of Israel when the temple was finished. They had a king that was David's son, a king whose name literally meant peace. There's a beautiful temple in the middle of the city. The Ark of the Covenant, God's footstool in the center of the religious life of Israel is now in that place. It is secured in the Holy of Holies. The promise that God has made to his people is never felt more sure 
right? Things could not be better. When the people sing, they sing with joy. Remember David, Lord. Remember all he did. You're going to make our city great. You have done this great work. Just keep doing it. But history doesn't play out that simply. Solomon, David's son on the throne of Israel, begins worshiping foreign gods. Uh, I, I could not have planned this better, Matt. But Solomon's kingdom breaks apart when his son Rehoboam takes the throne, when he takes ill-advised tax advice from his dumb friends. The northern half has only rotten kings, bad kings that do not worship the Lord. The southern half, Judah, it does have a few good kings sprinkled in, but mostly it has bad kings who do not worship the Lord. At no point in Israel is Yahweh worship, worship of the Lord, actually the dominant religious expression in Israel. They are constantly chasing after idols called Baals, worshiping other gods, despite warnings from the prophets that God brings to them. Their kingdoms are eventually taken over and destroyed, first by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. The temple is completely wiped out, wiped off the face of the earth and everything in it that had any value, anything that was made of gold, anything that was made of fine materials was hauled off to Babylon to be melted down and to put into the royal treasuries there. Now, eventually people do get to be able to return to the city when the Persians take over. And when they arrive, the city's in ruins. The walls are destroyed. The temple's still destroyed. Their king is a foreign emperor, a Persian emperor, miles away. How might they have sung the song then? How might this psalm have sounded to their ears or felt in their mouths? Maybe in some way at this point they're clinging to hope in what feels like a failing marriage, you know? Just hoping things, things will work out. Maybe we can get into some counseling. They feel rejected. Maybe they feel awash with grief. Remember David, O oh Lord, remember what he did. Remember your promise to dwell with us here. Remember all the provision you promised to us. We've seen our kids go hungry. We, the walls are broken down. God, please forget the bad kings. Remember David. Remember us. And maybe they feel there's some hope that by obeying God now, he'll turn around the, the fortunes of the people. But they have a sense that they deserve this. They know it was their sin that brought them to this place. But history keeps marching on, and Israel watches as foreign power after foreign power comes into Israel. The Greeks come, over, come in and take over from the Persians. Their empire splinters, and a, a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes takes over. The people of Israel have rebuilt their temple, but he comes in and he sacrifices pigs, unclean animals in the temple. And you get some Jewish people who are angry about this and they lead a revolt and they, they kick out uh, the Antiochian dynasty and they, they make their own little kingdom called the Hasmonean kingdom. So there's a king in, in Jew Jerusalem, but he's not related to David. He's not a Davidic king. Eventually, even those guys are driven out and the Herodians come to power. If you've heard the name Herod in the New Testament, they come to power. They're not even Jewish. They're Idumean. They're from Edom, Israel's ancient enemies. And they're not even the top dog because Herod has to answer to a guy named Caesar who lives all the way in Rome. The Jewish people don't have their own king. 
They're ruled by pagans who worship false gods. Worship, or they are uh, ruled by an emperor who calls himself a god. And so how might the people of, of Israel be singing this song at that point in history? Maybe now a little bit of anger is setting in. Bitterness toward the people who are oppressing them and anger toward God. God, you, are you going to remember David? Are you going to fulfill the promises that you made to us? Are you going to give us a king like him, a good king? What about our city? Our city that's been conquered and it's occupied by all these Roman soldiers marching around everywhere. Aren't you supposed to be dwelling with us and making everything right again? We've been obeying you, God. You know, we've been doing a good job of keeping ourselves away from the, the Gentiles and trying to live this perfect holy life that we've, we've been seeking after so that you might come and dwell with us. We deserve this king to drive these foreigners out. Where are you? You owe us something. Remember David. Maybe you've felt that way for a little while. Maybe some situation in your life is not going the way you would expect and you've, you've started to let that bitterness, that anger creep in. Maybe somebody's broken a promise to you. Maybe it's a small promise. Maybe it's a big promise. Maybe somebody has, has died and you're having to pick up the pieces, work through grief, or work has not been as fruitful as you would hope. I think we've all been there at different points in our lives or someplace like that. And if we're not careful, our hearts grow hard. Hard toward God, hard toward other people. We let those things calcify and, and, and we, don't, we don't want to feel anything. So we let those, those feelings be locked behind a, a lockbox and, and we're just mad. But in the middle of this context for Israel... In the middle of this foreign domination without a Davidic king in sight, in the middle of a rebuilt temple that has no ark, has no footstool for God, in the middle of Judah's growing anger and frustration, there is one person who comes onto the scene singing the psalm a little bit differently. There's a man who sings a song, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, one of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, your sons also shall sit forever on the throne. Not with sadness and bitterness, but I would imagine with a glimmer of knowing in his eye. Because he knows something's different. Because the man, Jesus Christ, made his pilgrimage to Jerusalem just like every other faithful Jew, singing this song. And when he did so, he would know that God had not forgotten his promise to David. In fact, Jesus would have known that he was God's promise to David. He was God's anointed. He was the Messiah. He was the ancestor David was promised would rule and reign on God's throne forever. Because Jesus wasn't just a man. He is God. He's also God's promise to the people of God to dwell with them and for 33 years, he did so on earth. Now he does so through the Holy Spirit that resides in the heart of every believer in Jesus Christ. And before Jesus left, he told his disciples in Matthew 28 that he would be with them until the end of the age, right before he ascended into heaven, giving us power and authority that we might make disciples as well of Jesus, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that he taught us. 
And he sends in Acts 2 his Holy Spirit to the church to give us that power. Power we don't have for ourselves. And ultimately in the future, Revelation 20 tells us that he will dwell with humanity, those who love him in a new Jerusalem, a Zion. God won't have a footstool on earth and he won't be hidden from sight by temple walls. Rather, we're told in that great city there is no temple because God himself is the temple. He shines like the sun in the middle of the day and to whom all the kings of all nations, not just little Israel, but Edom and Babylon and Rome and Greece bring their glory. God does this now and will in the future more directly dwell with people resting because his work is complete. I know a couple weeks ago, I even mentioned this text in the context of Psalm 130. And you might think, oh, he sure comes back to this a lot. And yeah, I do. Because this is where the Bible is leading us. This is where the story is taking us. This moment where God truly is with his people, where we are truly with him, with no mediating force. It's us and the Lord together, the way we were always intended to be. This is the thing that the people of Israel were truly hoping for, even when all they could see in their hearts, imaginations, was a building made of brick and mortar and a land they could call their own, where God would show up periodically to forgive them of their sins. But what they were craving for, what they were desiring, was actually so much greater. Now, the believer in Christ right now may feel that God's promises is far because they are, there are hard things in your life. And sometimes that's all you want is that next step. You want that pain relieved. You want God to seem like he's working in that situation. And I want to encourage you to rest confident that God's promises are ultimately fulfilled in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and in his future return as the king not to bring simply a footstool like the ark, but to bring the whole throne, to bring all of heaven to earth. You can know that Satan, sin, and death were all defeated on a Roman cross, that those enemies were put to shame, and it is he, the revelation says, is given a crown of glory, this Davidic king that we have in Jesus. And when he does return, he will wipe away every tear and make all things new. You might feel like Judah after you have returned to find Jerusalem in ruins, sad and devastated. You might feel like Judah being ruled by the Romans, angry about the things that have happened to you. But Psalm 132 reminds us that God dwells with you through his Holy Spirit. And as hard as things are right now, God will keep his promise to dwell with you. He isn't going to abandon you. The same can be said for marriages that are full of challenge and conflict or for those who have lost family members to our enemy death, an enemy that will ultimately be destroyed. God's promise to dwell with you, to dwell with us, to clothe us in salvation, that means even death will not get the final word. Death is one of the enemies that Jesus has defeated and is one of the enemies that he will ultimately destroy and put to shame. Now some of you in this room might not know Jesus. You might have heard the name Jesus, but you may not know Jesus. You may not call yourselves a worshiper of Christ, and maybe you're here just to visit this church or somebody brought you here today. 
you only know what the Bible calls the groaning of the world. And maybe you came today because you have been under pressure for a while. And you're hoping that at least a, a little bit of religion in your life, a little bit of uh, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of trying to kind of figure out what the Bible is about, or a little bit of right living will somehow make things right. I want to tell you, we're glad you're here. I mean, your expectations may be a little bit off, but we're glad you're here. But here's the, here's the thing. Jesus isn't interested in being king of your Sunday mornings. He is interested in being king of your life. He is interested in fulfilling his promise to David and applying that promise to you and to dwell with you for eternity in peace and hope and glory. He may not relieve a particular situation in your time of choosing, the time you feel is right and as expedient as you might want, but he is inviting you into his eternal kingdom where the greatest thing that we could want, God himself, not human relationships, not material wealth or blessing, not short-term health, but God dwelling with his people will be eternally present. And so I would invite you to follow Jesus for that gift, which is so much better than anything else you might expect. Liberty Baptist Church, may we be a church that cries out to God. Remember David. Remember us. Remember Zion. Not with anger, not with grief, but with hope. Knowing that God has not forgotten his promise to David. Knowing that he has been faithful to David. He will be faithful to his promise to David. And he will be faithful to his promise to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for what this congregation means in the panhandle. I'm always um, blessed to be here with these folks. Father, I know that they are uh, a faithful people to you and that there is so much going on in this place every week through the lives of this people in Dalhart and in the surrounding communities. Father, if they are in a place where they feel despair or they feel anger or they feel bitterness and they're having a hard time remembering with joy the promises that you have made to them to dwell with them forever. Father, I pray that you would soften their hearts. Keep them from getting hard. I pray that you would show them some grace and mercy in their short-term situation, but I also promise, or I also pray, Father, that you would let them see further out. That you would let them see past whatever the situation therein is. That you would let them see that future hope of a promise fulfilled. Father, I know if we, can, if we can have that eternal perspective that you give us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we can enter into worship toward you. And we can navigate those situations in our life that are difficult and that do cause us pain. Knowing that you're working in them, you're working in us, and you're working ultimately for our good and for a day where we will not have to worry about those things any longer. Father, we love you and we praise you and it is in our King Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand and let's make this our song to the Lord together.